everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. You're really, we're still on Parker, really, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Wow. Way to jump ahead to your conclusion on this episode, huh? <laughs> okay, I will withhold all of my judgmental comments until the end. <laughs> well, we'll do our level best, though that is going to be a challenge. If you are joining us for the first time this week on Dusted, then... I don't know. Come back next week. Go find a different episode. Go find a good episode. This week on the show, Beer Bad, the fifth episode of season four. And I guess if you polled a random selection of Buffy fans, definitively the least popular episode. I think so, yes. I even went Mm -hmm. to IMDb to compare this because I discovered (laughs) that IMDb, that respected internet resource, has star ratings for every individual episode of Buffy. So I went through those star ratings. Buffy as a whole, the entire series gets an average of 8.2 out of 10. Which is very high for IMDb, which tends to be really, really critical. Yeah, Ted gets a 7.4 out of 10. That's that's low by the standards of Buffy. (laughs) Go Fish gets a 6.8 out of 10, and there are only a handful of episodes lower than Go Fish. Beer Bad gets 5.9 out of 10, which may not sound low, but we're talking about an average response here. An average response on Buffy. It is Mm -hmm. far and away the lowest episode of Buffy, though I should note that the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie gets a 5.5, so it's worse still. Though the way that IMDb yes. adjusts those rankings oh, sure. may go some way to explaining that. Let's just be completely candid. Beer Bad is a terrible episode. Whether it yeah. is the worst episode, I think, is a conversation we can have at the end of the show. Sure. But it mm-hmm. is not good. And it is barely, barely Buffy. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's not a consistent episode of Buffy. If this is the first for some reason, for some weird reason that I can't even comprehend that this is both the first episode of Buffy that you've seen <laughs> and the first episode of Dusted, this is not going to be typical. Dusted, we really try to focus on, you know, what's great about it and what's good. And our criticism comes from a deep respect and appreciation. And it will this time, too. It's just that we very it's very rare that we like don't like an episode this much. So, yeah, this is yeah. this is going to be a standout. So episode. this is an unusual situation all around. Buffy is not usually this bad. Dusted is not usually this critical. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get into it. This episode written by Tracy Forbes, who writes only three episodes of Buffy. And she's unusual because she's mm-hmm. something of uh, a second string writer here. She doesn't get a producer credit mm-hmm. like most of the writers do. She doesn't seem to have been in the writer's room during the production of this season. Mm-hmm. She writes three scripts, though, which is a fairly significant contribution yeah. to a 21-episode mm-hmm. run. And then she disappears, and you've never, I promise you, never seen anything else that yeah. she has written. Yeah. This episode was directed by David Solomon. This is his third of 19 episodes. And previously, he brought us What's My Line Part 1 and The Prom. Yeah. An absolute fan favorite. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly capable of doing great work. And I will say... Yeah. This is a nicely directed episode. This is one of the things. I I thought that the camera work was really nice. I thought the choice of shots was really nice. A really nice sense of place a lot of the time. lighting, I have to say. And I know that sounds like, you know, when somebody gives you a paper and you're like, oh, great punctuation, you know, Um, that it sounds like faint (laughs) praise. But honestly, no, I, I really love the visual style of Buffy in this season. I feel like it's really matured. And this episode absolutely continues that. Yeah, and I think that there's actually something to be said for the physical effects. There's yes. something to be said for the fire effects at the yes, end of the episode, sure. certainly. Mm-hmm. That moment of athleticism, really our one big moment of athleticism, right. when Buffy jumps up on the pipes and mm-hmm. kicks open the window and does that whole thing, very nicely put together, very nicely ordered. Yes. 
I think all of our problems here can be traced back to the script. It's mm-hmm. the words on the page that are bad yeah. this time mm-hmm. around. And that kind of makes a certain amount of sense, since from my reading online, I have learned that this episode was written with the intent of procuring funds and support from the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Oh, God. This was written as a drugs are bad, alcohol is bad, okay kind of message. Yeah. So that the production company could secure some government funding for putting forth an anti-drug message. In the end, they didn't actually get any of that money because the Office of National Drug Control Policy said, no, this is this is supernaturally influenced. What are you talking about? This isn't about real drugs or real alcohol. No money for you. Oh, my God. So they sold their soul and they didn't even get paid for it? It seems to be the case. Oh, man. See, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a message hijacking your story. When you are writing a story for the purpose of getting a message across, (laughs) as opposed to telling a story, things just go bad. And when the Office of National Drug Control Policy says of your show that it was otherworldly nonsense, (laughs) I think... I think when you get a critical review like that from the government, from the government, <laughs> you kind of have to look at what you're doing with your life. Let's get into it. I do think there are a couple of fun things in this episode, though. So hopefully there we'll are. be able to find little oases of calm sure. as we move through it. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a whole lot of Parker, a little bit of Xander, and just a hint of a mysterious girl who caught Oz's eye. We begin in the graveyard. Kind of. Sure. We'll take what we can get. Where Buffy (laughs) fights and slays three vampires all while protecting a cowering Parker. He immediately realizes what a fool he has been and promises that he'll make it up to her. And if the terrible fight music wasn't enough yes! to clue us in right that this that is a this dream wasn't sequence, real right. the the disney heroine i want song rising strings behind yes. parker <laughs> certainly give it away that is a detail that i really like yes except mm-hmm. that a lot of the other music cues in the episode are just as heavy-handed they are i i mean i i got the reason for this particular music cue to be so in your face and i was like all right because the thing is like usually music it elevates the sense of the emotion of the moment. But a lot of times, if it's done well, you shouldn't notice it. You right. know, when music comes out of the screen and slaps you in the well, face. <laughs> and as we've discussed yeah. before, you're not particularly sensitive to musical cues, I think. Yeah, no, typically not. I mean, unless it's something like close your eyes. Yes, in that case, I'm very <laughs> sensitive. Um, but but yeah, I mean, certain themes and stuff like that you'll notice after a while. But for the most part, it shouldn't hijack the moment. In this instance, it does. And I think it does important i think it's good i think it's a positive choice that they, the they right chose choice. that Absolutely. in that moment yeah. it was really good and it was nicely done um but now we have like weird musical cues hijacking other random moments throughout this episode and that was a little bit weird not to mention the extended extended yeah. some might say interminable scene of veruca singing in the bronze we'll get to that in oh, due course yes. we cut from buffy's rich fantasy life to the lecture theater where professor walsh is giving her world famous intro to human beings have needs and desires lecture <laughs> here we are a month into the semester <laughs> and she's finally getting to maslow's hierarchy of it needs seems like you would start there is there but... a class before psych 101 because i think this might be it uh, it may possibly be i don't know Buffy jealously watches Parker flirt with a girl while Professor Walsh frames the conflict between the id and the ego and we cut back to Buffy's dream graveyard where Parker now has flowers and ice cream. Okay. That is our cold open. Is it me? And it may be just me. I know know exactly where you're going to go with this. Okay, go ahead. Predict what I'm going to say. Everything that Professor Walsh is saying cues us to expect 
a cut back to the dream world in which Buffy rejects Parker, possibly physically, possibly with a great application of violence. Sure. Instead, we see her doubling down on her We repeat fantasy. the same note from before. And yeah. it feels like, because the thing is that when you have a scene like that, um, you end on a closer. You yeah. end on a moment that kind of gives us a sense of what this means, what this cold open means. And what it means, what I think we're getting, and I think what the intent was is that, you know, instead of it changing, instead of like reverting on the original beat of, you know, will you ever take me back, you know, and she rejects him, which is what we want for Buffy. Instead, he's got ice cream and flowers now, like, and his shirt is open, and it's even more, you know, um, about what she wants from him. I feel like they were going for something here, and I felt like it kind of missed. Yeah, I think it, it misses for It didn't work for, for me, reasons. but I don't know if it's just me. No, I think it misses for two reasons. One kind of textual, one extra textual. I think the textual reason it misses is, and this is going to be something we're going to talk about later in the episode. Sure. Professor Walsh's lecture seems to connect <laughs> with what is happening it in Buffy's story. It seems to almost be a thesis statement for the episode. <laughs> but it isn't. Weirdly. It absolutely is not. It it doesn't really, except for in one element of the episode later, we don't have anything that references right. that. But broadly, yeah. the id ego conflict that we're this getting into here actually has nothing to do with, has with nothing to do the with main with metaphor exactly. of the episode. Yeah. The other reason it doesn't work, I think the extra textual reason that it doesn't work, is that we're over this. <laughs> Buffy has now been pining after Parker already so for tired. almost three times as long as they were interested in each other in the first place. Right, and you're supposed to be able to get over somebody in half the time you were together, <laughs> which means she should have been over I'm, this guy before fear itself. I'm cautious about applying mathematics to that kind of thing, but you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. No, what's worse is that, I mean, this is perhaps unfair and perhaps unfair to put at the feet of Tracy Forbes who just sure, wrote this episode, yeah. but Buffy is now more in the emotional hole than she was in fear itself yeah why is her grief over this one night stand getting worse and i don't think that's textual i don't think as i said i don't think that's fair for us to really expect that kind of emotional continuity from the show perhaps not in that kind of fine detail she didn't grieve this much over angel well right (laughs) and i find that a little bit like uh, the thing is if they had just if they had even just associated parker with angel enough that we could believe okay. that Parker was tripping her angel we issues. We have enough to complain about in this episode without All complaining right. about things that have been done poorly in other episodes. Sure. Let's get back to it. But you're right. I mean, as a cold open, it doesn't work. It, and you do get the sense that they're flat. aiming for something. Yeah. But it doesn't It doesn't. I, do, I didn't feel like it worked for me. I wasn't sure if it was just me or not. At the UC Sunnydale campus, Xander is practicing his bartender moves and flashing his fake ID. Buffy has real problems. Willow has a scary imagination. And the allure of the college pub has nothing on the bronze, a place for which we actually have a standing set. So we're <laughs> going to continue <laughs> to use that. Buffy is still Parker obsessed. And Willow has a penis joke. Or Willow, I guess, contributes to Xander's penis Penis joke. Penis joke, yeah. We can't, I suppose, talk about the dialogue in this episode meaningfully because so much of it is just bad. And what there is, is atypical for our characters. Willow has never sounded less like Willow in this episode. Nobody has sounded less like whoever they are in this episode. It's, It's... astounding to me um it feels like somebody taking a swing at something that they don't quite get yet this is it yeah i've read fan fiction for buffy the vampire slayer that feels more authentic that to has the a voice more sophisticated take on these characters yeah. yeah yeah and unfortunately i mean this is perhaps my personal taste mm-hmm. but xander's loud nothing can defeat the penis 
When the weird ADR loop yep. that like all yep. of a sudden it sounds like he's talking right no, into the microphone. that's a super complicated yeah. shot. You definitely want to, you know, come back to that later rather than just reshoot it again. <laughs> that personally for me, yeah. given the quality of the writing, given this horrifyingly shallow take that we get on Xander yeah. throughout this episode, given the terrible ADR, given the way that we then get a clunky like laugh break after yeah. it because the show is just so pleased with itself. <laughs> the whole thing to me conspires to make this no kidding. One of the worst moments in all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do you know what it feels like to me? It feels like somebody wrote a computer program that has <laughs> basic things that Xander kind of says in certain circumstances, things that Willow might say, the kind of of permutations of language that happens to be kind of a Joss Whedon fingerprint, and threw it all into a computer program and just had a computer program like throw them out randomly without having any context, without having any sense of the characters, mm-hmm. without just doing things that look and sound sort of like Willow and sort of like Xander and that sort line, of like Buffy. I think you're onto something. And I think that perhaps one might speculate about, I don't know, some kind of robo duplicate yeah, of our main cast sure. that might not quite have a grip on the actual characterization of our living, breathing right. characters here. Yeah. Willow's line is, Buffy, that is my best friend, you need to think about not Parker. He's no good. There are men, better men, wherein the mind is stronger than the penis. Yeah, this is not at all a Willow thing that... That's not the way she talks. No. Just because you're playing around and moving words in, in spaces where they should not be does not mean that you have the rhythm Exactly. You're trying to emulate that, yeah. that weird Whedon-ness. Right. That that Buffy speak idiom. And there is a certain sense of that. Like there is they do play with language in that right. way, but it's there's it's a sound not of it, that, but it's not the specifics. But it's not it doesn't have the yeah. soul to it. It doesn't and have anything. It's it's like it's pretending to be that. This continues just throughout the entire episode. The whole episode. I don't want yeah. to talk about every bad instance of dialogue. We I'm just can't. gonna say right now the whole thing. <laughs> That night, Xander is horribly overwhelmed in the pub while Buffy is on the prowl looking, I guess, for Parker. She later claims to be there looking for Xander, but Xander, the bartender, would be behind the bar. Sure. And she seems to be investigating every dark corner. (laughs) So really on the hunt for Parker, who she finds hooking up with a very friendly looking girl. Mm -hmm. Buffy runs into Riley, correctly observes that he is a three-dimensional object that occupies a location in both space (laughs) and time. And the two chat. I was actually kind of amused by this little... Riley just impresses the hell out of me. Through the first few episodes, every time he shows up. I like him. When he says, I'm ungainly. Yeah. And I I thought back to our discussion about Uh the brief shot we had of him in the lecture hall. Where we talked about him being super ungainly and how he seems to be too big. That seems to be a conscious choice on the part of the actor. (laughs) Which, you know, I was okay. Like, I gotta say... And maybe it's just because he's he's standing next to Parker, which would make almost everybody look good. But I, I'm I've enjoyed Riley. The the few moments that we've spent with him, the time that we've spent with him, I've really enjoyed him. I like it too because we're also not forcing anything. Yeah, we're just kind of letting these this is a nice, little moments be the moments that they are. A nice slow burn. I yeah. like it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the impact of this scene with with Buffy physically bumping into Riley yeah. is going to be undercut in just a few minutes. But we'll get mm-hmm. to that. Riley leaves, and Buffy watches Parker make out with the new girl that he has hooked up with. Xander, meanwhile, is chatting with a sorority girl and is promptly humiliated by some jerk who doesn't understand that you never, ever antagonize the bartender if you ever want a timely spit-free drink again. (laughs) What are you... I understand this is your first pub. Right. This might, in fact, be your first drink. I don't know. He certainly doesn't notice that when Xander returns the pitcher to him, it's like two-thirds full. Oh Well, there's that. And I also really (laughs) like the fact that we've got this uh, computerized AI word salad of intellectual speak. And also, I think that some goodwill hunting 
like snuck oh, into the program. Yes, yes. Um, this is, yeah. there are clear references to to Goodwill Hunting, which is yeah. a weird a weird reference to be making. Yeah, I mean it's clearly explicit, right? Is it? But it, it is. doesn't seem to be purposeful yeah. in a broader sense. I'm not sure what the connection there is, except I guess that we're speaking to that that overeducated, arrogant archetype you know right, we're talking about that, that guy yeah but it's just it's word salad though none of what he's saying means anything which yeah. actually can be part of the joke except that i don't think i trust the writing well enough no that's the to problem. know that that's the joke i think if the rest of the episode were written more consistently with the voices that we've come to expect than the word salad nonsense that these guys might actually talk. be funny if yeah, that was intentional least, but i have yeah, no sense it would, that it it's intentional, intentional as opposed <laughs> to just the ai program spouting out smart guy you know yeah words. and i think this is what we're talking about when we talk about the importance of consistency right. in your fictional world. Mm-hmm. Your reader, your viewer, has to feel secure. They have to feel as though the things that are happening are happening on purpose. Exactly. And not accidentally. Because if you don't know it's on purpose, you can't really understand what what's supposed to be going on. Exactly. Like, what am I supposed to be getting from this? And if you don't feel secure in the writing, then you're kind of left questioning everything. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the mm-hmm. case. Xander then talks with Buffy about Parker, just for a change of pace. Let's talk a little more about Parker. She gets up to leave and bumps into her second guy of the night. We just did this beat, but let's do it again. Because there is never a time when the physical clumsiness of a girl who has been trained for four years and who is blessed with supernatural powers, and she has this innate awareness of her physical environment there is never a time when making that girl clumsy for narrative effect gets old sure let's just absolutely rely on that beat (laughs) she's invited to drink with the odious frat guys she watches parker leave and decides that beer may indeed be the answer in the bronze meanwhile oz and willow talk about their studies as the music starts up and oz is suddenly distracted the girl from the strange backward glance we saw in living conditions starts to sing and oz is enchanted for like a solid 10 minutes. It did it like seem to good me long like while. that lasted A lasted forever and B was just terrible. Well, I mean that song was bad. I, I see what they're going for. They're right? going for something soulful, they're going for something abstracted they're going mesmerizing, for mesmerizing mesmerizing this, absolutely yeah. and i like very much seth green's ability to just do nothing on screen sure. and yet be, and be just completely compelling. magnetic right yeah. exactly yeah that never gets old yeah uh, you're right i think it goes on a little long and it's a little sudden and we don't pay it off is the yeah. worst crime no we're just we're building toward the narrative arc and we'll talk more about this sure. next week i guess right. but in the here and the now, it doesn't really pay off. No. Except, I guess, to motivate Willow. But the degree to which it motivates Willow is arguable yes. anyway. Mm-hmm. Buffy, meanwhile, is unwisely imbibing a lot of black frost beer, as well as getting a severe case of what one might describe as a contact douchebag. <laughs> you know when a lot of people are douchebagging around you, and you're not douchebagging yourself, but it's in the air. <laughs> This is what is happening sure, to Buffy here sure. in the pub. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it sets my teeth on edge that they keep referring to it as the pub. The pub. In what right. way is this more pubby than any other bar? <laughs> in what way is it more pubby than the bronze? What differentiates a pub? Oh, maybe maybe is it actually called the pub? Is that maybe? like the, the official, you know, name of well, the Well, I don't place? want to jump ahead in the canon, you know, and sure. spoil these important arcs that we're going to see. For the best of my recollection, we don't ever see the Never pub again. Never again. Never again. Which is probably for the best because it it's being down, run by right? a lunatic. 
Let's keep pushing on. The next morning, Willow is playing Imaginary Friend Theatre, reciting the dialogue between Veruca and Oz, who apparently hit it off rather well. Buffy is entranced by television, and who among us isn't, and eventually manages to tell Willow about the bar and about the beer, and if we could just not talk about Willow believing for a moment that Buffy had sex with four guys and just kind of move past that because of how stupid it is. In Professor Walsh's psych lecture, Buffy isn't acting like herself. She's acting, well, like Faith, but I don't think that that's a deliberate connection. We cut away to some expensive-looking alchemical apparatus and something drips ominously into a keg of black frost. Okay, let me just say something about this. Please do. I loved the visuals. I loved Nothing, the visuals too. None of it was was even remote. Like it was all these like weird little flasks and put together like a an awesome Rube Goldberg machine. It was just it was beautifully done. And I have to say that there is a prop person somewhere who did this amazing prop work. <laughs> In the one episode of Buffy yeah, that is notoriously reviled. So, like, you know, they're like, my best work is in the episode of Buffy that everybody hates. But it was really cool looking. I liked that a lot. So yeah, I just wanted to shout out throughout, my love really for strong. the visuals in this episode. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's interesting, too, that we're kind of harking back to a season one version of Buffy. Yeah. We'll jump ahead to, uh-huh. to Jack has a line later that I have a huge problem with anyway, where he yeah. says that his brother-in-law is a warlock. Sure. Which implies that this is a magical effect, which is great. Yeah. But here we have the same kind of magic is just chemistry with a lot of equipment right. that we saw back in season one uh-huh. when Giles is commandeering the science lab in Sunnydale High to right. put together these ritual solutions to whatever our problem of the mm-hmm. week happens to be. I kind of like that because we've gotten away from the idea that science is magic and magic is science and right. this kind of interplay. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing a lot of, well, you smudge it with the herbs and you read in the Latin from the ancient and book. And you call on Hecate. Exactly. And, it's more yeah. magical. Mm-hmm. I kind of like this nod toward that season one this, you know, this take science on magic. as magic yeah, thing. Th- that yeah. alchemical approach mm-hmm. to it all. That is pretty much the only good thing that I can say about this plot element, but there it is. That night at the bar, Buffy and the boys are regressing by the minute, so much so that Xander blows his chance to actually light someone's cigarette. And there it is. Yeah. An oasis. Uh Uh-huh. That is a nice beat. No, it was nice. The whole time he's practicing with the thing, yep. he wants to, you know, I. that's a nice little three beat. It was nicely it executed. Because he's concerned mm-hmm. about Buffy. I probably could have lived without the holding up the little no smoking sign. Sure. No, because that shows an awareness like the reason this moment is significant is because all he's wanted to do was light somebody's cigarette yeah you know and then if he's still paying enough attention to her to hold up a coaster that says no smoking right um but i like that he's so focused on buffy that rather than than having that awareness that he's so focused on buffy and what's going on that he misses this opportunity to do something he's been practicing for right we gild the lily Mm -hmm. a little bit with that joke but all the same, I'll take sure, it. Sure, sure. No, it's a nice, it's a nice three beat. Yeah. Oz, meanwhile, asks Willow to come see him play with Veruca's band, but Willow has other plans, plans that don't involve spending any more time than necessary with Veruca. Buffy, meanwhile, has been cut off. Xander escorts her from the bar, which, I mean, okay, they are friends. I think it's probably okay that Xander physically picks her up and <laughs> hoists her out of her chair and leads her to the door. I would like to think that he wouldn't do that with any of the other patrons of this fine establishment. Well, what I would like to think 
is that he well okay she is the slayer but she's obviously you know compromised Mm -hmm. and i would like to think that he would sit her away from the other guys at the bar and give her coffee wait until he's done and walk her home and see her home safely that's what i would like to see but the plot requires but the plot requires exactly willow meanwhile bumps into parker she rails against his insensitivity and cruelty though it's possible that she's not just talking about him Uh he defends himself and his actions ships in the night who pass but briefly and have naughty sex or ships in the night nautical sex See, I can pun as well as Oz. No, that's that's awesome. That's really good. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. I have to. I know I wasn't going to say how bad the dialogue is. Yeah, I'm tired of you men and your manness. All right, here's the thing. Willow, first of all, is not anti-man. Willow is not going to have like Buffy have one instance with Parker and have that put her off men forever. Willow loves Xander, loves Giles, loves Oz, and Oz. While he is, yes, you know, developing a friendship, while Veruca was rude to Willow, and Willow doesn't really want to hang out with Veruca, Oz at this point has not really done anything that upsetting. But even then, it wouldn't be Willow railing against men and their madness. No. It would be railing against Parker for what he did. But Parker specifically, like yeah. she is not going to all of a sudden go on a man-hating binge because of Parker. Also, Willow does not seem the type who's going to go up and just confront him that way. I mean, yeah. I realize we have new confident Willow, but at the same time, like she doesn't want to extend Buffy's relationship well, with Parker. So why is she going to speak to him? I can see Willow intervening. If, if you kind of strip this story down to its basic elements, mm-hmm. I think you can see a version of this narrative where Willow intercedes, hoping perhaps just to tell Parker off or hoping to get Parker to apologize so that Buffy can get some closure, some kind of something. Right. But within the frame of this episode, within the frame of the last few episodes, mm-hmm. it's just insufficiently motivated. We yeah. just have to have Willow and Parker so that Willow and Parker can do their thing. And we have Willow being upset about Oz and expressing that to Parker. Although Willow, I think at this point, is kind of the person who, if she has a problem with Oz, is going to express it to Oz. I mean, she's very it's, good about being Willow's straightforward about these things. insecurity about Veruca makes mm-hmm. no sense. Absolutely it, it no fit. sense. It, it's because this is, this is new, confident Willow. She is the one who, whenever anybody has a problem, will go ahead and speak to him. She's the one who kept telling Buffy, go talk to Angel, go ask him. You know, this is Willow. This is how she handles her relationships. Um, what's going on with Oz is a little weird, and I can see her asking him about it, but she doesn't. Yeah. And instead, she decides that she hates all men, which is not a Willow type of place to go. Yeah. In the pub, Xander has a little fun at the drunk guy's expense, taking for himself a large tip, which is probably deserved since this seems to be his second night working at the pub sure. and he's closing up by himself, I guess. <laughs> One of the guys bursts from the bathroom having gone full caveman and the others immediately begin to transform because that is how timing works. Xander frightens them away with his lighter and they shamble off into the night. Xander goes to talk to Jack, the owner of the pub, who says that they had it coming, letting the camera linger for a moment on a keg of Black Frost, which we get because we saw the earlier scene sure. with the chemical apparatus sure. and the keg of Black Frost. Uh-huh. So this isn't the reveal that the episode seems to think it's very important that we get the double reveal there sure Mm -hmm. the caveman fight in the quad while jack fills xander in on his nefarious plan such as it is his brother-in-law is a warlock which is a serious (laughs) admission out of nowhere even for sunnydale does jack know that xander knows about you know magic 
And the supernatural? Okay, does all of Sunnydale just accept this as part of life because they've been living on a hell mouth? Or does everybody rewrite this information in their heads? I like what our is choice, the well, standard? Our choice is, is this a either. secret? What? Yeah. Yeah, it clearly is. It's Sunnydale is still preserving the masquerade. You know, sure, it's still right. trying to live in in blissful. Even ignorance. though the mayor turned into a giant snake and ate the principal. Sure, but we explained that because it was marsh lights and it's the PCP. weather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For Jack to just say, my brother-in-law is a warlock. The problem here, yes. technically speaking, is that it's not a line for Xander. It's a line for us. Yes. He's directly addressing the audience and saying, oh, look, this is a magical thing that is happening. Sure. But when you do that, as we saw back in Gingerbread, mm-hmm. when you break the frame of the world and you start giving people knowledge, like metatextual, genre-aware knowledge, yes. then it really stresses our understanding of what the Buffyverse is. And we start to feel, again, more and more insecure. We start to feel right. as though this is not a world that we can trust because we don't know the because rules because certain things anymore. are shifting all the time in world building it is so essentially important and the worst that you thing get about your it. whole world down that you understand how it works and you live by those rules in every episode yeah mm-hmm. the worst thing about it is we're skipping over the opportunity for a much better and more sophisticated joke mm-hmm. when jack says something about you know the magical thing he makes some kind of allusion to the thing that he's doing sure and xander says oh my god witchcraft really and Jack is surprised by that because uh-huh. Xander's genre awareness right. is a well-established thing. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. it's just real bad. And, of course, we also don't get any real sense of Jack's motivation Yeah, beyond petty revenge. Well, uh-huh. good job you burned down your bar because of this. <laughs> we also don't get any sense of justice uh-huh. or his ultimate fate if there is a price to be paid for this. And we don't get any final resolution to the beer storyline at all, except it'll wear off in a day or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At a very deep level, that is just some super shaky conflict writing. Well, it is. And especially because thematically, like we open with this id and the super ego and the pleasure principle and all this kind of stuff, right? So we open up with that. Okay. And that seems to me like a clear statement of theme. This is our theme. But here's the problem with the caveman thing is that, first of all, that's not about id and superego in a fight. This is about suddenly losing all of your native intelligence. Not to mention the fact that, you know, and pardon me for, you know, standing up for the caveman Americans and being, you know, very sensitive and PC about this whole thing. But cavemen aren't stupid. They're just no. primitive. It's just different. Like, it doesn't, it, the, the fact that this is something that saps all of your intelligence and your ability to think is yeah. one thing but that's not related to id and super ego and base instinct no, this is the essential confusion at the heart of the episode this is where they misunderstand their own metaphor right you're absolutely right we address it in terms of the id and the super ego we address it in terms of the pleasure principle yeah. but the metaphor doesn't address that because the metaphor is doing something different which is regression and the annihilation of intelligence yeah. and that's a fine road to go to right. you can do that version of but the story but don't shout at me with principal walsh in the beginning holding up a cue card that says this is our theme exactly and then and then we have have that theme addressed with Willow and Parker yeah. in their discussion, but it's completely separate. No, the show from seems to believe that it's talking about the, the it, that same it's talking thing, about the, but that's not the it. Heedless pursuit of pleasure and indulgence, and we get beats of that. Buffy sure. taking the girl sandwich in the lecture sure, theater, for example. Right. We don't though get any connection between that and the core mm-hmm. metaphor in the episode. The regression to this caveman state actually right. has nothing to do with that, and if anything, works against it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mess, and this is what I think 
is really telling. This isn't just a bad episode. This isn't yeah. just a shaky episode. We've had some bad episodes where things don't work and certain writers perhaps don't have the best take on these voices sure. and we don't necessarily have the tightest plot structure and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. This is all of those things. Beer Bad exhibits all of those problems. But it also exhibits a much greater problem, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of what they are trying to do themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. They sat down to write this script apparently with no notion That's of what the unifying feels, plot would be. It feels like they fed a whole bunch of stuff into a computer program and it just spat out. Exactly. It spat out a theme. It spat out a you know a caveman thing. The metaphor doesn't match. Um, the way the characters speak has nothing to do with who the characters are. It is simply a, a weird and and kind of false mimicry. You know, it's like it's like hearing a parrot do willow. Yep. You know, um, and so, yeah, I don't know, like that, all of that feels so just flat to me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's weird. Because there's nothing about the pursuit of pleasure or the, the sudden dominance of the id mm-hmm. that leads to drawing cave paintings on your wall. Right. That is a disassociated That's idea. Not, those aren't related. Exactly. Yeah. It's just bad. It is. It's just bad. And to couple that with the, hey, a warlock did it, I guess, shrug of an explanation. And the, oh, it'll wear off in a few days, I guess, shrug of a resolution. Right. Exactly. What the hell? Exactly. Let's let's get through the end of it, shall we? (laughs) As swiftly as possible. One of the guys is hit by a car as their rampage really builds up steam. And Giles and Xander show up to Buffy's dorm where they find her drawing on the wall, Parker Bad. Indeed. Speaking of which, Parker is by now clearly hitting on Willow. Her mind is open to new things, and he's all charming and soulful, but she's had enough of his Parkerness, and she tells him off in curiously plot-relevant terms. Oh, sure. She really did take in everything Professor Walsh was saying at the beginning of the episode. It doesn't have anything to do with the appearance of the caveman who burst in and ruined her night. Okay, here's the thing. I like it. As a Mm -hmm. scene, I like it. I think that Parker is every bit as awful and as douchey and as undeniably charming yes, as yes. he is supposed to be. And I Willow, think all of that I works. like that Willow plays him. I yes. like that Willow is completely like, oh yes, Parker, tell me more. <laughs> With you that know? little smile. Yes. That works Where really she, nicely. She looks like she's falling for it and then she comes out and yells at him. And I actually, and I like that. If yeah. we'd stayed on track with the central metaphor, mm-hmm. if you know, whatever is being added to the beer really did just turn these people into id-fueled monsters rather than cavemen. Yes. Then the way that we sum up the theme and the way that we apply it directly to Parker would, I mean, a little heavy-handed, but it would at least have worked. Right. Unfortunately, Willow goes out of her way here to stress that the show isn't talking about what the show purports to be talking about. Yeah. Oh, and one of the things, too, is that I think we've been saying that the uh, the pub burned down, but that's actually, this is where uh, Parker and Willow yes. are, is the student Not lounge, the I think, yes. or some kind of but basement coffee house of some sort. It's one of three interchangeable yeah. kind of hangout spaces, yeah. because we have the pub, the bronze, and this place this, that I yeah. thought for a while was the cafeteria. Yeah, I thought, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird kind of space that has sort of a bronzy feel to it. It's got the little does. couches and little area. And that, that but we know bit, that it yeah. can't be the bronze but because it's the Oz bronze. is going to the bronze. Well, and also it's a quarter of the size of the bronze, too. I mean, it's just yeah, this little... it could little, be a redress of, like, yeah. a, of one of those because the uh-huh. bronze has those little Right, those little corners. So right. it, it could has, be a redress of that. It has but, a very bronzy feeling to it, yeah. but it is on campus, apparently, and it is, like, just a student hangout place. I don't know. Yeah. But it burns down. But it burns down. You can be sure confident of that, at least. Buffy, meanwhile, is spinning in her chair as Giles and Xander look on. Buffy is strong. And Buffy really wants some beer. So she knocks Giles down 
but vitally not out. I know. We will not be adding this to our list of oh, every episode in which Giles sure. has been knocked unconscious. <laughs> Buffy goes off in search of some beer. Giles and Xander give chase as the cavemen, meanwhile, start a fire that quickly gets out of control. Xander finds Buffy outside and they see the smoke from the fire. They rush to help, but Buffy barely has the presence of mind to grab the fire extinguisher, never mind actually use it. The sight of Willow unconscious on the floor, though, is sufficient motivation to get her to face the flames. With some fancy acrobatics, she manages to knock open the small window, and the caveman, the other girls, and Willow escape into Xander's arms. Buffy, though, remains inside as Parker gets to his feet. She clubs him unconscious, then drags him out. Outside, Buffy is still feeling the after-effects of the beer. The cavemen are locked in a strange van as the others look on. Okay, did I miss a plot point here? Mm -hmm. Because... We stress that we don't know who the van belongs to. Do we secretly know who the van belongs to? I don't... Is this a plot-relevant van, or do we just... think so. ...weirdly Is it highlight? supposed to belong to the, the the initiative commando guys? Is that supposed to be a, I, a beat in that? We or don't know is a it, great deal about the initiative It doesn't look yet. like one of the, you know, black SUVs that you would... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they it's don't have a, a lot of minivans, I'm thinking. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't... But we stress it. We highlight it. So I don't know... I couldn't make sense of it. I don't know if it's plot relevant, but it certainly seems to be highlighted as though it is plot relevant. So, okay. All I right. Guess, because otherwise it's a really weird thing to choose to explain this one inconsequential detail. Right. When, as I said before, the rest of the episode pretty much amounts to a shrug. Exactly. But it's important that we nail down the ownership of this van. Yes. That's the vital part in, in resolving our plot here. Parker appears and apologizes sincerely for his actions and for mistreating Buffy. She clubs him again, knocking him to the ground. The Scoobies gather round, ponder for a moment all that has happened, and walk off into the night. <laughs> the end. Sure. Okay, okay. Well, though, I do like... I like the attempt to do that nice book ending where in the beginning she's got this fantasy about Parker rescuing Parker and then he thanks her and says I've done all this wrong how can you ever forgive me this kind of thing we have that moment in the end she clubs him unconscious mm -hmm. and is under the influence of you know some kind of supernatural force so we don't really get the sense that Buffy on her own what I wanted to see was Buffy as Buffy saying you know what parker whatever you know and just yeah. like i want but because she's under awareness supernatural in influence because yeah. clubbing him in the head is not a buffy thing um it is a buffy under the influence thing um it doesn't feel as satisfying as that bookend seems like it was set up no. and the repetition of just hitting him on the head yeah is is facile yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. I could have lived with one of those little, you know, Buffy epilogues that we get from time to time, sure. where the following morning, or even a couple of days later, right, she's right, right. in the cafeteria. She bumps into him. They have a brief exchange where he basically gives the apology. Yeah, you know, and she just. I, I, whatever you yeah, know, if she exactly. blows him off at that point if we actually get the culmination so it turns that weird beat in the cold open mm -hmm. into something of a three beat into something that makes sense exactly that that we we play it for a, an emotional resolution here because Buffy may not be aware of what she's doing we don't get that closure that sense that she's really decided mm -hmm. that Parker is not worth it and she's over it and not for nothing and perhaps this is you know taking the whole thing a little too seriously mm -hmm. But I have a problem with Buffy, the Slayer, yeah. possessed of supernatural Slayer strength, yeah. clubbing a guy in the street and the Scoobies just being okay with it. Right. She 
knocks him out. Right. That's not a trivial blow to the head. It's also his second blow to the head his in like five minutes. unconscious. Yeah, like this is serious brain damage. And the thing is, is that, yeah, Parker's a jerk. He deserves to be told off. But this is, well, you know. Does he, though? Because well, he yeah. has this scene earlier with Willow. And we uh-huh. can absolutely concede that he goes too far when he then tries to hit on Willow. Right. That <laughs> Although I have to say, I admire his audacity. I, as do I. As do I. You, you certainly, you know, set you yourself up for great things. Points. Sure. Yeah. Faint heart never won fair Willow. <laughs> but prior to that, mm-hmm. he's making what seems to be a fairly sophisticated and honestly seems to be fairly honest case. Oh, I don't think that's honest at all. I oh, don't think if it's, okay, I misled I don't think her it's into thinking that there was going to be, of course you did. You spent no, okay. every night with her for a week. No, he clearly misled yeah. her. And, and, and we saw that. deliberately misled her. He so promised to, that he would call her. It's he completely her. disingenuous sure. for him to say that he never meant to lead her on. So do you yeah. think then that the show isn't trying to open up a space where we might actually talk about you know the emotional consequences of casual sex in college is this is is there an oh issue were they here, looking to get points from here? the uh the, the no ca- sex the brigade pro casual sex <laughs> right. in college well see i went in favor you went against <laughs> tells us a lot about your college experience no don't have well no because the thing is that buffy in the early part of this is talking about parker and she goes i'm a slut and I'm oh. like, you slept with a guy the once after spending the whole week of with this him. Script makes it impossible for us to even spend. I can't even. Thirty seconds. I can't even with I'm the slut shaming. In that any other episode, yeah, we would do five minutes on that. In this episode, it's not even. I'm a slut. I'm an idiot. No, he's a jerk, and he's not worth your time. Like, yeah. I mean that that stuff bothers me but you know the idea that casual sex is great for men and terrible for women this whole thing is is very parochial i don't particularly care for it um i think there's i think there's a possibility and perhaps it does just come from the fact that parker is very good at what he what he, he sets out well to you do. know what he is i respect the man he is sure. really good at what he does guy has he's game. a sleazeball but i kind of like the possibility that we could address that kind of thing. You know, sure. This kind of emotional entanglement. Yes, absolutely. He lied to Buffy. He misled Buffy. He led her to expect something that he wasn't at all interested in giving. Yeah. But And then played innocent that, after the fact, sure. which is the most annoying thing. But if we can disassociate that from this idea that, you know, actually casual sex can be empowering, it can be liberating if both people go into it knowing what if to expect, both people knowing go what in to with want. Eyes this open? is a space absolutely. of experimentation. Yeah. But we don't meaningfully interrogate that idea no at all no it's just it's just a disappointment it really is yeah let's talk about where we're going to put this on the list i don't i don't at least have anything more to say about its badness Uh, no the plot is wildly misdirected and misapplied yeah the explanations that that get us there are just gestured toward Mm -hmm. far more than than actually explained or explored we don't get a resolution there's no climax here no. the climax of getting the people out of the burning building actually has nothing to do with either of the plots that right. we seem to be exploring it doesn't deal with jack who has been uh right. magically spiking drinks and he is the villain here not the caveman mm-hmm. so we don't dress with that at all we don't deal with that at all and his pub doesn't even get burned down <laughs> <laughs> which is the very least you could expect exactly. am i right okay where are we putting this on our big list of every buffy episode ever let me scroll down to the bottom here yeah. <laughs> let me look here at the bottom of the list do you have a strong argument I'll, I'll let you open this discussion okay i have to say 
I would put it above the movie because down at the bottom we've got uh, we've got the movie and Go Fish, um, and I would I would watch this again before watching the movie. Is that only because the movie is twice as long? You know, I think that might be a factor. <laughs> I think it might. Um, I do think that this is. I know that you know that you because right before, right above uh, the movie is Ted. Yes. Which I know you hate with a passion I do. I do. that is fiery. Right. Um, and right. Okay. It's, also, it's also a true and correct okay. fiery passion of hatred. Ted is better than beer bad. Okay. I can, can respect, we agree on that? No, we no. can't. <laughs> I can respect that as an opinion. Sure. I absolutely can. For me, Ted, the movie, and Go Fish belong on a different tier entirely. Because there's nothing in beer. Beer bad is terrible i mean it's terrible is it worse than ted in terms of its writing and production and performance and all the technical aspects of making a tv show yes absolutely it's probably arguably in terms of those things worse than go fish the difference is that beer bad doesn't make me angry in the way (laughs) that ted and the movie and go fish make me angry beer bad is stupid but appropriately enough it's a genial harmless i've had eight beers kind of stupid it's not an aggressive you know swaggering kind of stupidity okay so here's the thing this is where i think you and i differ the writing in beer bad is abhorribly bad it's, it is, it's it uh, is. i just made up a word abhorribly, it's abhorribly abhorribly yes. bad um <laughs> that's how bad it is i had to invent a word to describe it is um it's not even a, a swing and a miss it's it's not even a swing at trying to understand these characters who they are um how the episode of buffy works we state a theme and then completely abandon it um right. but that theme or either of those themes or all three of these themes aren't you know it's completely okay for domestic violence to occur it's completely okay to gaslight someone it's completely okay to treat women as sex objects and then double down on that when they seek to challenge those make me angry like on a a human level but on a level of this is incredibly poorly written this is is a badly written episode of buffy i am absolutely not disputing that with you at all my problem with Ted is actually uh, Ted and Go Fish and the movie uh-huh. is that they kind of go out the other side mm-hmm. where they start to swing up toward slightly better written than this. And I do mm-hmm. mean very, very slightly better very, very than slightly. this. Very, very slightly. They have their moments. But they sure. use their power for evil. <laughs> That's true. And there's okay. nothing evil okay. about Beer Bad. It's just dumb. It's just, yeah. There's nothing to commend it at all. See, but when it is, finishes, like- I'm not angry about it the way that I'm angry about Ted. Dumb With offends its, its me, though. Swaggering stupidity, especially when it's Buffy. No, I get that, and obviously, you know, we're not talking about this going in at thirty-five mm-hmm. or forty on the list. This is right down no, at the bottom, and it we're belongs fighting there. over the sink to the bottom. I can absolutely respect any opinion that says that this is worse than Ted. I can respect, honestly, intellectually, any opinion that says that this is worse than Go Fish. Yeah, I completely mm-hmm. see where you're coming from because there are technical aspects of this episode that really do set a new low for <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and arguably for television. <laughs> <laughs> but beer bad just doesn't anger and infuriate me the way that Ted and the movie and Go Fish do. Mm-hmm. So I would rather take this kind of harmless stupidity mm-hmm. over that kind of slightly more, like very barely slightly more accomplished actual evil. All right. Yeah. And like, honestly, 
Uh, part of me wants to even put it down at the bottom, like down at the absolute bottom. Because are as- you telling me with good conscience that you would rather go and watch Go Fish right now than Beer Bad? Okay, all right. So better than Go Fish. <laughs> would you rather go and watch the movie no, than Beer? I Bad? would watch Ted. You would watch Ted, Ted before you watch not, Beer Okay, Bad. you hate Ted with a passion that I completely, you know, I understand. I'm aware of that. Ted does not bother me as much as Beer Bad And I can see that. I can so I don't know if that. we can compromise put and it in, put it in above the movie below Ted. I would even be comfortable, given that the movie is doing something very different and that the movie doesn't And you has know, moments. Really the movie occupy. has moments. Well, I, I would argue Beer Bad has, you know, a couple of moments, literally a couple of it, moments. It nods too. at a couple of almost, almost well-executed three beats. I yeah. think we put Beer Bad in under the movie but above Go Fish. All right, I will give you that. That seems to me to be I will give you that. the That's good. fairest place. Mm-hmm. I think so. But I, I want so. it understood by everyone who's listening to my voice right now <laughs> that at least it's not evil. <laughs> okay. I would at still rather watch Beer Bad over at Ted. At least but... it's not evil. Can we have that as the episode title? No, we're already having Abhorrible as the Abhorrible. episode title. <laughs> Guys, that is it for our discussion of Beer Bad. As I said at the beginning, if this is your first time listening to Dusted, I hope you'll come back when we have a better show, which, good news, should be any minute yes, now. Uh-huh. On Thursday of this week, we are looking at episode five of the first season of Angel Room with a View, written by Jane Aspinson. Honestly, not one of my favorites, uh-huh. but I'm looking forward to watching it again and seeing what I get from it. Sure. And mm-hmm. from here, friends, dear friends, we're actually on the upward swing. The sure. worst is over and we have some genuinely good episodes coming up Mm -hmm. and then some genuinely great episodes we're only a few weeks out from a couple of my favorite episodes of Buffy and Angel respectively ever we have some really Mm -hmm. good stuff coming down the pike very shortly so thank you so much for listening if you enjoy what we do here at storywonk.com if you would like us to do more and to continue giving you this kind of perspective on the stories that you love and adore then you can support us by heading on over to our Patreon page that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Storywonk, where you can, with a click of your mouse, pledge a dollar a month or whatever you can afford to help us pay our server costs, help us buy the music for these podcasts, help us take the time to put all this stuff together. You guys are the greatest, and we are thrilled always by your just unfathomable generosity. (laughs) Just unfathomable. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with more. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Destiny.